0: Thank you so much, Nathan. Well, welcome uh, to Easter. Thank you for coming on a Saturday to celebrate what happened on a Sunday morning uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in Him. So, happy Easter Grace Church. This is a place that celebrates Jesus. Uh, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came to this earth, claimed to be the Son of God. And proved it by predicting his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off. In fact, 2,000 years ago, people were so convinced that this happened that they sacrificed everything to proclaim this message. They went all over the known world to make him known. Eyewitnesses who who listened to him teach, who had a front row seat at his miracles who watched him falsely accused and unjustly convicted and mercilessly executed. But three days later, what their eyes saw and what their hands touched and what their ears heard, this Jesus, with the nail scars still in his hands, indeed, what other conclusion could one make than that this truly was the Son of God, the Savior of the world? men? like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, wrote about the life of Jesus so that 2,000 years later you and I might come to know Jesus and come to believe in him. They, were committed, they committed their lives to making Jesus known. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he might be the best evidence there is. When Jesus was going around doing miracles, James held back I mean, he wasn't sure. It was common knowledge that the family of Jesus was skeptical about the claims of Jesus. Think about this. I mean, you have siblings. What would they have to do to convince you that they were the son of God? Well, they'd have to come back from the dead, right? Uh, and this is exactly what Jesus did. And this is what, exactly what James did. He came to faith in Jesus after the resurrection and then wrote a book about how to follow his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wanted to make Jesus known. A few years later, a man by the name of Saul, whose personal mission in life was to stamp out this rebellious religious sect, has a personal encounter with the risen Jesus, and in turn writes over half of the New Testament and provides more information and teaching about the resurrection than anyone else. The resurrection, friends, is something we can believe because we have eyewitness accounts. We have people who actually saw it and get this. They believed in it so strongly that they died for it. I mean, in the midst of their own persecution, they never recanted their, their story. What they had seen and heard, they never denied it. They knew it, and they wanted us to know it too. So at one point, Paul writes a letter to a church in desperate need of truth, and he impresses upon them the indisputable and undeniable truth of the resurrection Of Jesus, and this is what he writes. Stand with me as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first 20 verses of this chapter. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thank you. You may be seated. First Corinthians, going back to verse 3, Paul says this for I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. Say that with me. First importance. One more time. First importance. Paul writes to us about the resurrection and refers to it as of first importance importance. In other words, uh, of all the things that are important, of anything that you might consider to be important, out of everything that you know to be important, this, my friends, is the the most important. It is the first important thing. Know this, to be important, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There has... There has never been a better time in history for people to know stuff, right? I mean, actually, we live in a world that knows too much stuff, so much stuff that experts have begun calling this the age of information overload. One source states that the average American is exposed to 54,000 words in 443 minutes of video through social media and online content every day. There are enough tweets posted every day to fill a 10 million page book. 20 million emails will be sent by the time I finish this sentence. The average American receives 220 messages, texts, or updates every day. It's happening to you right now. 300 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. Now, if you take all of the information that was produced from the beginning of time up to this century, like 6,000 years of human history, in 2023, we match that information every two days. Access to information is so pervasive in our culture, it's been diagnosed as a syndrome in some and become an addiction in others. And research is warning us of the implications. For one, we are discovering that the more external input, the less internal reflection. In other words, the more we know, the less we think. Friends, we are becoming a people We are becoming less of a thinking people. What's more, uh, the more we know, the less we value. In other words, it is becoming increasingly difficult for people to prioritize what's important. The more inundated we are with information, the more overwhelmed we feel by that information, and thus the more apathetic we become to that information. If everything matters, then nothing matters, Paul tells us. In Corinthians, I delivered to you of first importance. He's saying to us, this is not just information. This is important information, vital information, life-changing information. Of all the information that you have, this is of first important information. I'm not just reporting historical facts, as true as they are. I'm delivering to you theological truth with eternal implications. You need to know this. This is something you need to know. Um, You can tell that I'm old enough to remember the launch of the cable news network. And I can remember pundits debating the idea, news all day long? Who's going to watch that? Uh, Years later, enter all kinds of channels, the weather channel. And some question the same. Who's, who's going to watch weather all, all day long? You're going to give us weather all day long? Somebody's going to watch that? Come to find out, that's a thing. You know? I mean, people watch it. They, they, watch 24, they watch the news 24-7. Some people know what's happening in Fort Lauderdale with the weather right now. I mean, but who cares? I mean, it's important to know stuff, right? I suppose it is. What's more important is how we are affected by what we know. I mean, case in point. I mean, speaking of the Weather Channel, I mean, just this past week, how many of us were glued to, this, to the Weather Channel watching the devastation in the southeast? I mean, but here's the thing. Here's, here's the deal, friends. I mean, you, you can be watching houses imploding in Oklahoma. And you're somewhat more intrigued than you are concerned, let's be honest. But if you are watching that happening in Illinois or Newton County, Indiana, you'd be less intrigued and more concerned. (laughs) Right? I mean, what's my point? Well, it's important to know stuff. What's more important are the implications of what you know. I mean, does this matter? And more importantly, does this matter to me? Paul is saying this is important information, and this information matters. And more importantly, it matters to you. Paul says, what I experienced, what I've seen and heard, I'm passing on to you as of first importance, at the top of the priority list of importance, your life in relationship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the implications of his life on yours. Uh, Paul is writing to a group of Christians not quite sure of that, something they couldn't plant their feet in. They liked the teachings of Jesus. They were impressed with the stories of Jesus. But this whole concept of someone coming back from the dead was a bit much to take. Is this really true? And so before he gets into the implications of this information, he establishes the veracity of this information, real people, people that you know. I mean, people that you could track down right now and interrogate, interview, down to his own personal testimony. I mean, at the time of Paul writing this, I mean, it was probably two to three decades after the historical event. So people were still alive who physically witnessed the resurrection of Jesus when it could have easily been disproven if it really didn't happen. People who claim to watch Jesus die and then experience him alive. Now, before we go on, I think this is the greatest evidence for the veracity of the resurrection that people... People will often die for a lie when they don't know that it's a lie. I mean, people have been deceived. People have often been deluded into thinking something that is true that is not really true. And so it's not uncommon to see people die for a lie if they believe that that's true. But friends, nobody dies for a lie when they know it's a lie right? I mean, if the disciples were just making up a story to keep this going, well, at some point in the face of death, somebody's going to cave. And yet no one did. In fact, this makes it even more compelling. All of, the all of the disciples caved before the resurrection. You remember that? I mean, when Jesus was arrested, they all gave up. It was already done. The movement is over. So think, think about it. I mean, if Jesus is still dead, why this change of heart? If Jesus is still dead, why this sudden transformation of courage? There had to be something to this. History tells us every disciple of Jesus, save only John, died a martyr's death. No one recanted their testimony in the face of persecution. Why? Because what they had seen and heard was of first importance to them. What they believed to be true was in fact true. And they spent the rest of their lives making sure that 2,000 years later, we could know it too. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, there is no information more important than this, this information. And this information has implications for you and for me. So Paul, in this passage, takes the negative approach first. He says, let's consider this information not to be true. If, this is, if the resurrection actually didn't happen, then what? Number one, we would have no hope. All hope would be gone. If in Christ, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Vain means worthless, meaningless, a waste of time. Now, friends, here's the problem with the world. They like, they like Jesus. I mean, ask the person, the common person on the street about Jesus. Most people think Jesus is cool. I mean, love your neighbor, feed the poor, don't judge people. You know where they got that? Jesus. Turn the other cheek, go the second mile? Jesus. The golden rule? Jesus. Friends, the entire code of ethics in Western culture Is rooted in the teachings of Jesus. People who don't care for the church actually like Jesus. And what's not to like? I mean, he loved on children and he treated women with respect and he hung out with sinners and he confronted injustice. I like Jesus. Yes, I do. I like Jesus. How about you? Here's the problem. Jesus is a liar. If in fact, he did not rise from the dead. And even though the world does it, they still don't like people who do it. Lying is unacceptable. Nobody likes a liar. Friends, the only reason we listen to anything Jesus says is because he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we listen to everything Jesus said. And this is what he said. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. This is what he said. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to go there and prepare one for you. Friends, hope. Hope. Without the resurrection, friends, there is no hope. Number two, there is no grace. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Friends, on the cross, Jesus died for our sins. His once and for all payment for everything you've done wrong was accomplished on the cross. But Paul says to us, without the power of the resurrection, you lose the provision of the cross. His death is meaningless without his resurrection. Think of it this way. Uh, My wife uh, has a drawer in the kitchen where she keeps this oversized plastic pouch filled with receipts. Uh, A while back, she pulled one out and handed it to me for something that I had evidently purchased. And she said, do you need to hang on to this? Which is kind of my problem because I never hang on to this. (laughs) I never never keep my receipts. Some of you are like my wife and others of you are irresponsible. So... (laughs) If you, if you have ever felt guilt and shame, just try returning something without a receipt, right? The clerk is annoyed. You're frustrated. The responsible people behind you with their receipts, they're saying some unkind things about you. Uh, friends, this is how it works. The cross is the payment, but the empty tomb is the proof of purchase. Easter is the receipt. We can know that his death paid for our sins because he rose from the dead. Freedom from guilt and shame, without the resurrection, friends, it's gone. Forgiveness of everything you've done wrong, without the resurrection, it's gone. The joy of your salvation, erased. No hope, no grace, third, no purpose. If there is no resurrection, let's just feast and drink, and for tomorrow, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, to us if jesus hasn't been raised from the dead then there is no resurrection of the dead and if there's no resurrection of the dead then you and me i mean we're not going to rise from the dead either and if we're not going to rise from the dead in other words if there's no if there's no more to this life than this life then why does this life even matter right i mean that's just the point it doesn't matter nothing nothing really matters it's just logical my friends And we are seeing this in real time, in our culture, in our world, the loss of hope resulting in the loss of meaning. And the loss of meaning is dismantling our culture right before our eyes. The Bible tells us that God has put within every human being this longing for transcendence, this longing for eternity. There is an innate desire in all of us, for this yearning for for more. Why? Because the Bible tells us we were created for a garden we no longer live in. And so we're longing to go back. Our entire earthly existence is consumed with a hunger to return with, with no means within ourselves to get ourselves back. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has made a way. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And thus the hope of heaven and the gift of grace And the return of purpose is only possible through the one who died and rose again on our behalf. Friends, this is the most important thing you can know. There is a feasting awaiting you that no amount of pleasure on this earth can match. And if you don't believe that, then feasting on this earth is all you've got moral relativism is all you've got subjective humanism is all you've got believe what you want as long as you don't hurt anybody well how does that work i mean who has the authority to determine hurt and why if everything is meaningless why is hurt the exception i mean it's all pretty pointless right so just do whatever you want while you can the problem is whenever Everybody does what they want. Eventually, somebody's going to get hurt. And friends, we are living in a world of hurt. Paul says, verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul begins with eyewitness testimony to assure us that we can believe this. Jesus follower, your faith is not a blind faith. It is not a leap in the dark. It is not an emotional crux because you can't handle life. It is a historical fact with eternal implications. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most studied, researched, investigated, and historically documented event in the entire history of mankind. No one has been able to discredit it. They have only refused to accept it. Paul says this actually happened. This is real, and you need to know the implications of this information. Here's the first one. My life has meaning because Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I mean, Paul is pretty honest in this passage. He says to us that if Easter isn't real, there's a lot of things you could be doing with your life. But in fact, it is real, and it matters. Therefore, nothing else you could do with your life would matter more than this. Believer, know this. Everything Jesus calls you to. I mean, the Christian life is hard. Following Jesus is difficult. Picking up a cross, denying yourself, doing what he says. Every minute you've invested in that. And then in that life, every dime that you've given, every person that you've served, every hurt that you've forgiven, every time you've turned the other cheek and gone the second mile, every time you've chosen forgiveness over bitterness, every time you've chosen kindness over anger, gratitude over complaint, generosity over selfishness, purity over self-indulgent gratification, how you lived and who you loved and what you did, friends, all of it, all of it, all of it matters. And one day he's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Nothing is wasted. Not one of your prayers, regardless of how they were answered. Not one of your disappointments, none of your sufferings, none of your losses, everything that you've gone through, God is using for your good and bringing meaning and purpose to your life. Because of the resurrection, your life has meaning. Secondly, because of the resurrection, your failures are not final. Your failures your are not... But Thank God he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin and death. So first, Jesus' followers, sin, because of the resurrection, there is no condemnation. This is the gospel. Friends, you, you are more wicked than you're willing to admit. And Jesus died for that. But you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. And Jesus died for that. Some of you are better than me because you keep your receipts. And so every day I live in the anxiety that I'm not going to be able to return what I purchased because I have no way of defending myself or proving myself. Friends, without Easter, you have no way of defending yourself. But with Easter, but with Easter, you have no need to defend yourself. By the resurrection, Jesus has stamped all of it paid in full. Now, think of it. If if Christ is not raised, Paul says you are still in your sin. You are still in your sin. But if Christ is raised, then the question is, where are you? I mean, if you're not in your sins, where are you in? And the Bible says you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You have been covered and clothed by his righteousness. By the moment you put... From the moment you put your faith in Jesus, God now sees you, not in your sin, but in your Savior. Your failures are not final. He sees you, not in terms of your record, your performance, or your goodness, which is never good enough anyway. He sees you in terms of Christ's record and his accomplishment and his righteousness. Your failures are not final. And finally, your future is secure. Paul says these words. We believe it's a hymn sung in the early church. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is saying because of Easter, you have a hope that death cannot take away. Two years ago, this, during the Easter weekend on a Saturday, my father passed away. This past week, Easter week, Uh, I conducted number six funeral of 2023. Yesterday, we received news of a loss in our church family. And this afternoon, our family received loss of our own, one of our own. Just never stops. It never stops. Death is a club no one wants to join, but whose membership is never revoked. Funerals are frustrating, and rightly so, because it was never supposed to be this way. You're always frustrated by things that aren't right. And friends, you can be frustrated with death. You can be angry at death. Jesus was angry at death. The one who conquered death stood at the tomb of a friend and cried over death. This is why he became one of us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Hebrews 2.15, he delivered those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Hebrews tells us that Jesus became like us so that he could die for us so that the fear of death could be gone. My friend, you can be angry at death, but you don't have to be afraid of it. I love the message paraphrase uh, in this passage where it says, who got the last word, O death? Oh, death, who's afraid of you now? Like he's trash-talking death. I dare you to come at me in your face. Friends, which means nothing in this world, no hurt, habit, or hang-up, no disease, diagnosis, or disability. No distress can discourage us, no disappointment can defeat us, and no death can destroy us. Friends, know this. Do you know this? Do you know this? If you don't know this, I'm going to be at the front of the stage after the service. Friends, this has eternal... There, there's, no, there's no other information that has eternal implications. This is it. And you need to know this. If you have questions about this, I'll be at the front of the stage after the service. I would love to answer whatever questions that's keeping you from believing this. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful We are so grateful that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We are so grateful for Easter. We are so grateful that you love us beyond measure. So we are so grateful that you've given us life in your son, Jesus. And I pray for everyone in this room that we would not only know this, but that we would believe this and live this and share this with the world so desperately in need of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.